Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. Psalm 127, let me read verse one. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In both cases, in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard, what? In vain. So I looked up the dictionary and I looked up those words in vain. I looked at Webster's Collegiate Dictionary and one definition was an excessively high opinion of yourself. <laughs> and um, that's not good, but uh, that's not what we're looking for this morning. So I looked at the next definition. Vain is having no real value or significance. Empty, and I like this word, hollow. Empty and hollow, having no real value or significance. Doing what you're doing with no purpose. And maybe the reason this psalm grabbed me is because it forces me to think about purpose. You look at the heading, it says of Solomon. Solomon is the human author. And what do we know about Solomon? There's so much we could say, but the main thing I want to remember about Solomon is he started off really good. He was, you know, his father was David. He inherited this wonderful kingdom from his father, David. And he had a great first half of his kingship, and then the second half went down the tubes. Because what Solomon did is he, he had all these political marriages to solidify his kingdom. And so he said, yeah, I'll marry your daughter to some prince or some king. Yeah, I'll marry your daughter. Yeah, and she can bring all of her concubines. And when it ended up, he had a harem. But what about, well, what is it, 700 wives? And um, they, they all brought their, their, their tribal gods and their national gods, their little idols, and said, oh, Solomon, baby, come worship my idol. Let me build a shrine for my idol. And down the tubes went the nation of Israel. So Solomon started off good and ended up really, really, really bad. And that's when the nation of Israel started to go down the drain too with Solomon. So you got kind of an enigma in this guy, good and bad. But Psalm 127, he wrote this, he wrote this psalm during those good years when the kingdom of Israel was smoking. And so it says in verse 1, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And what kind of a house is he talking about? He's talking about the temple, obviously. I mean, his father David wanted to build that temple. But it's just spiritual gifts. I mean, God said to his father David, David, you're a warrior. I gifted you as a warrior. You're a general. You go out and win battles. You shed blood. You win wars. Solomon's not a warrior. It's not what he does. It's not how he gifted him. He's the builder. He's the organizer. He's the negotiator. And so Solomon's going to build the temple. And this temple that Solomon built, where God built through Solomon, was magnificent. Man, it was opulent. It dripped with extravagance. This is all in um, 1 Kings chapter 5, 6, and 7. I can just read you some of this stuff in 1 Kings 5, or 1 Kings 6. This is verse 29, describing a little bit about the temple. On the walls around the temple, in both the inner and outer rooms, he carved, meaning craftsmen carved, cherubim angels, palm trees, and open flowers, hand-carved. These were all hand-carved on the walls. He also covered the floors of both the inner and outer rooms of the temple with gold. Hey, folks, gold floors. So I see, as I I read this psalm, I see Solomon in his study or alone somewhere in a room thinking about this temple. 
thinking about God and saying, just, just looking at this whole thing, thinking about this whole temple as it was being built and saying, God did this. God did this. And so he said in verse 1, if the Lord doesn't build a house, it's all in vain. But this is for God. And then Solomon started thinking about the kingdom and said, matter of fact, God has laid such blessing on, excuse me, on this kingdom. He protects us. He, he keeps the enemy attacks away. He's not no warrior. You know, God protects this nation. I mean, he keeps all the enemy attacks away. He watches over the city of Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, if God didn't watch over it, all our mobilized army, all the sentries walking along the wall that surrounds Jerusalem, you know, if, if it would all be in vain if God didn't watch over us. And so here's what Solomon understood. And the Holy Spirit moved him to write this, folks. He understood that this nation Israel, this temple, was all for the glory of God. God protected it for his glory. God had him build the temple for his glory. He understood that if God didn't make this temple happen, it wouldn't happen. And so I apply this word of God to myself. And I asked myself a question, um, why do I do what I do? I think I, this was Monday afternoon. It was a beautiful day, and I was in that office thinking this stuff through. And I went out and walked around the pond out there, and I'm thinking this. I'm really thinking this stuff through, and I'm thinking, why do I do? Why do I do what I do? Do I do it um, to build a monument to myself so people remember me, so people say good things about me, so people like me, or am I so aware of God that I live to his glory? Do I live to his glory? You know, those are tough questions. I dealt with some of those questions. And then I got to ask myself the question, what does it mean to live to his glory? Does it mean you build an extravagant temple like Solomon or a building or something like that? Well, I guess that's part of it, you know? I mean, if you do it to the glory of God, that's part of it. But living to the glory of God, and that's what this message is primarily about, living to the glory of God, what does that mean? It means you live to the glory of God in the small stuff just as you do in the big stuff. Last Monday, after walking around that pond, and all the grandkids were over, and Cheryl called me, and she said, bring some, um, bring some corn home and bring some tomatoes home. And I had my agenda, man. I had to write this message. I just thought about 20 phone calls to make, a lot of stuff I wanted to do. And she says, be home by 5 o'clock. No way I had planned on being home by 5 o'clock. I was thinking 6 o'clock. And I'm writing this message. And I'm saying, you, you, you glorify God in the little things. And so I'm thinking, this is a little thing. What am I going to do? What am I going to do in this little thing? And, I, and at that moment, I asked a simple question. I asked, I, what at this right now, what would please God? What would please God? What would warm the very heart of God in this situation? There's only one answer. I mean, you've got to think of the, her needs first. So I went to Goikis, and I got the corn, I got the tomatoes, and I got home at a quarter to five because I like living. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> really, really, I, I really asked myself that question at that point in time. I asked myself that question, you know, at this point, what, what would bring God glory? You know, in the small stuff, just warming his heart in the small stuff, doing the obedient thing. That's the glory of God. You know what I think is one of the best stories in the Bible about living to the glory of God? This is in Genesis 39. A lot of you folks remember this guy, Joseph. His brothers sold him to, into slavery. He's a slave now, Joseph is, with, uh, with a lot of authority. And he's a slave in Egypt in the household of a guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar's a really big deal in Egypt. And Potiphar's wife has a thing for Joseph. Remember, we're talking about living to the glory of God. Potiphar's wife has a real thing for Joseph. And, 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 and there's nobody in the house at the moment. And they are, they are all alone. 
and she approaches him in Genesis 39.6. says, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph, and she said, Come to bed with me. Now notice the response. Verse 8, Genesis 39. Verse 8. I mean, she just came and said, it, the, the, the time is never going to get better than now. And he said in verse 9, or verse 8, the word says, but he refused. I love that, but he refused. I, I can imagine the emotional pressure on that man at that time. I can just, I mean, you guys can understand that. I can just imagine the pressure. And Joseph, at that moment, says, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than me. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife, and here it comes. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? That, listen, folks, that's as good as building a temple. That's as good as building monuments and accomplishing great feats for the Lord. That is living to the floor glory of God, folks. That was a great feat, let me tell you. Living to the glory of God is doing every single thing, thinking every single thought, desiring in your heart to please God because you know he gave you his very best, his own son. It's a response to that. It's knowing and believing everything you've ever accomplished, everything you have, every goal you've ever achieved is all from him. It's all a response to that. And here's something else, too, that motivates and drives me, and I'm sure this drove Joseph. Um, you know and you believe that God is right there with you. Joseph knew God was right there with him because God's, well, the technical term is omnipresent or all-present. Joseph knew that God saw everything he did. God sees everything you do. He knew everything. He knew every thought. He's right there. He sees. He knows. To know everything like that is called omniscience. God is omniscient. And so God is omnipresent. He's present with Joseph. He's omniscient. He sees. He knows. He knows everything that's going on. The great desire of Joseph's heart at that moment in time was to please God, or so that God would be pleased with his life. And um, that's living to the glory of God. And that's what Solomon, I believe that's what Solomon meant when he wrote in Psalm 127, he's dwelling on all this stuff. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch over the city in vain. Your purpose in life is to do everything to the glory of God. So then I had to ask myself another question. I asked myself, why do people without Christ do good things? Because it makes them feel good about their set themselves. And we want to feel good about ourselves. And they say, if there is a God, you know, I did this good thing and, and, you know, I'm scoring some points with God and I'm earning my way to heaven. And they're really living in vain, aren't they? And see, what we got to do, see, that's what Solomon means. Uh, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, unless it's to his glory, unless it's to warm the heart of God, to please God, folks, it is in vain. And you know, the toughest thing in the world that you're ever going to have to do is confront people like that. This is tough. You've got to pray about this. This is hard because when you know when people don't know the Lord and you say your good deeds are not good deeds in the eyes of God, and I don't know how you're going to say that. I say it different ways, but you're attacking their, 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 their very self-worth. And that's a really tough thing. But you have to address that issue. What you call righteousness is not righteousness before God unless you know and believe in Jesus Christ. And those are tough issues to address. But, you know, I'll tell you what, they'll never never have eternal life unless you find a way to say it.
So be so aware of glorifying God. You don't have to be a Jesus freak on the outside. You know, on the outside, and talk about him every other breath. But I tell you, be one on the inside. You know, you got to think about God from your first waking thought to your last thought before you go to sleep, man. Study his word. Talk to him a lot. Think what the Father gave you in Christ. I mean, think about Jesus willing to die for you. I mean, you got to think about these things. Don't let the gospel be just words. Consider that God himself, the second person of the Trinity, said yes to death for you, knowing what that would entail. I got to think about that. I honestly take time and stop to think about that, that the Son of God said yes to a human body, to life on this earth, and to the kind of death he died, because that was my deepest need. And somehow that had, that, that, that's got to demand a response from me. Be aware, discipline yourself, train yourself to ask. In response to that, Father, right now, because you're omniscient, you hear, you see, you know, you're present everywhere. Right now, at this minute, how can I best please you and warm your heart? Okay, here's something else as you read this. As you read 1 Kings 5, I just, I didn't read every word. I just kind of flipped through 1 Kings 5 to 7, the whole description of this opulent temple. And you think about the planning of the temple, the organizing, getting material from all parts of the world, finding the best craftsmen for this enormous, enormous project. And then voila, it happens. It's done. The temple is done. You reach your goal. I, I believe, you know, as Solomon sat back and he looked at everything that went into this whole thing, this whole project, this whole temple, he just kind of sat there and said, wow, God did this. Unless the Lord builds the temple, the builders labor in vain. You know, I hear gratefulness in Solomon's voice in these words. I see tears. I almost see tears. Lord, look what you've allowed me to do as he achieved this goal. Lord, what a great God. What a great, good, loving God you are, see? So that forces us to think about our goals in life and what you excuse me, what you've achieved. I mean, look at your goals for just a minute and say thank you, Lord. Solomon is saying thank you. Look at the goals you have achieved in your life, things you have really sacrificed and worked for, and learn to say thank you, Lord. It doesn't have to be a temple or a building. I mean, maybe your goal was to exercise, lay off ice cream, you know, lose some 20 pounds or something like that, and you did it. Maybe it was to love this person despite himself or herself, and you were able to do it. That's a goal in life, and you achieved that goal. And God is so pleased when you accomplish something like that, and he hears it from your lips, but more important, from your heart. Thank you, Lord. You know, look at the goals. Look at the goals and... and, and, and First of all, say, thank you, Lord, for the dream. I, I want to do this with my life. And, and first of all, he put the dream in your heart, right? Isn't that from God? The dream like that is from God. Second thing he gave you was the resources. Where did all this come from to accomplish it? And, 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 you know, here's the third thing God gave you in achieving a goal. He gave you ambition, and don't think that's just a matter of personality because I know a lot of people who look at a goal and say, nah, too much work. Excuse me, I don't want that kind of work. I don't want that kind of sacrifice. Ambition is a gift of God. And here's the fourth thing God gave you. He gave you supernatural endurance. 
Because in achieving any goal, whether it's a person or a project or whatever you want to do with your life, I mean, there's hard times, there's pitfalls, there's obstacles, and there's times that you just want to quit in this whole goal and give it all up. And he gave you supernatural endurance not to fall into those pits and to get over those obstacles. So what did God give you in this goal? Why are you saying thank you? Number one, he put the dream in your heart. Number two, he gave you all the resources. Where did all this stuff come from? Number three, he gave you ambition. Number four, he gave you supernatural endurance. This is not coming from within you, man. This is not stuff you generate from within yourself. And you say, thank you, Lord, at least not a Christian. Let's go to verse two. Verse two is so today. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. Oh, isn't this today? For he grants sleep to those he loves. One more time. In vain. There's that thing vain again. In vain you rise early and you stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. I, I, I read that and I, I pictured myself and I went back a long time. I went back to my early years in the ministry and I went back to when I was a pastor in Youngstown, Ohio. I used to get up every morning. You know, I, I used to be in that office by 8 o'clock every morning, and that's the day when you had to have a white shirt, man. You didn't, even if there's no one else in the building, man, pastor had white shirt, tie, polished shoes, and all that stuff. And um, so I'd put my white shirt and tie on, my suit on, I'd go into the office, I'd get there by 8 o'clock, I'd come home around noon and grab a bite to eat with the family, and then I'd go out and I'd call on all these people in the church, and there are only about 100 people in the church, maybe about 40, 50 families at best, and they got tired of seeing me, I'd call them so much, they'd say, you know, shut the lights off, turn the radio off, pretend, pretend you're not here, there's the pastor's car. Yeah, I'd come home for dinner. Maybe take off the white shirt, you know, put on something else, and then put the white shirt back on, and I'd go out again. I had a meeting just about every night. Meetings, 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 meetings. I had to be part of everything. I had to sit on top of everything. See, and here's the whole reason, man, because I had to build that church. I, I, I had to build. I had to make it happen. It was all about me. Can you fit yourself into that picture? I gotta tell you what, the church grew too. It grew. It was a very successful church. But was it worth it? I mean, you think about stuff like that and ask yourself, is it worth the price? So can you fit your story into that? See, after a while you wise up and you ask and you say to yourself, this is ridiculous. I mean, this is really stupid. Relationships are suffering. Um, my relationship to God is suffering. I have no personal time. I race through life. And so if you have a godly biblical mind, you start saying, okay, what does God say? There comes a point where you say, what does God say? And you start looking at the word of God and you start living biblically and you discover God's priorities. God's priorities, number one, him. Number two, family. And number three, your job and everything else that consumes you. Let me say that again. Number one, God. Number two, your family. Number three, everything else that consumes you, and that includes your job. And so you start to live those priorities. You start to make some difficult, difficult changes in your life. And you know what happens? You feel better. Your relationships get better. And here's something else, man. You get as much done when you do it God's way. And you discover, and this is a hard lesson to learn. Man, do I need, I, I need to, this is a lesson I always need to relearn. And you need to relearn. It's not all up to you to make it happen. You do the right stuff. You be obedient to the Lord. It's up to him to make it happen. It's not up to you to make it happen. And that's a tough lesson for all of us to learn. But I'll tell you what you do. You stop racing. You accomplish more. Solomon thought, I could run myself ragged over this temple, man. I could lose sleep over every delay. I could worry myself sick. But God made this deal 
happen. And he's got this well in hand. And you commit, you, 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 and you commit it to him. And you give him your best. You live biblical priorities. And you rest. And you relax. And you sleep well when you do it God's way. This is so true. In vain. Listen to that. In vain. You rise early. Stay up late. Toiling for food to eat when God grants sleep. Peace of mind to those he loves. I mean, listen, I got to say this to you. So you're given deadlines and you have to invest some extra time and get up early and stay up late. There are those times in life. Of course there are. You got to meet deadlines. But there's also a line you see, you draw and you say, you know, I've given it the best I can with the time I have. And God knows that. There's some higher priorities now. I really try and put this into practice. I really try and live this. And let me tell you, it makes a difference. It does make a difference. The minute any worry or any fear, call it an anxiety attack, hits you, you got to go to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, bring your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so the minute a worry, anything anxious hits, man, don't, don't, don't wait a second. I mean, you bring it right to God. I mean, I'll tell you, you take it to God. You say, Father, I'm nervous about this. Right now, I'm envisioning the worst possible scenario. Help me now to know you love me. And help me now to know you're not anxious. And help me now to know you've got control of this. Help me now to know you'll guide me, that you're bigger than this. Pray like that the second anxiety hits. And his peace, which transcends all human understanding, will take over in your life. It really will. Hear me, it will. It works. That works. Can I urge you? You know what? It's something so practical. The minute anxiety strikes, the what ifs, the what if this happens, you you. you Open your Bible, go to Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and bring it to God. Okay, one last application. The, the, the temple's built, and Solomon says, now we have a place. We have a place to worship the Lord, and when you worship the Lord together, there's strength, there's solidarity, there's unity as you worship God, and that's going to make this nation strong. Now, how else do we make this nation strong? That's what Solomon asked. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, verse 3. Children like are a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons, are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Um, they will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. The gate is where all the decisions were made. And that talks about family solidarity. But what, what Solomon wanted to do is he wanted to guarantee as much as possible the future strength of his nation. And you got to understand, the Holy Spirit, folks, inspired this. The Holy Spirit is directing Solomon's thoughts. He said, okay, we've got this temple. Now, how can, I, how can we guarantee as much as possible the strength of this nation and the strength, the future of the nation was in the kids, it was in the children. As a matter of fact, in verse um, 3 of Psalm 127, Solomon calls children a heritage and he calls them a reward. But I want to focus on verse 4. He calls them arrows. I like that. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth, and that means sons and daughters. Kids are like arrows. 
I have an excellent commentary on the Psalms. It's in two big fat books, but this commentary on the Psalms is, is it's like reading a novel. It's by a guy named John Phillips, and he has such insight into, in, into the Old Testament, insight into these Psalms. It's an excellent, it, it's readable, it's excellent. And I learned something about arrows. This enlightened me. He said arrows had to be fashioned meticulously because you, on an arrow you had to have a balance between the, sh- the, the, the tip and the shaft. And um, a craftsman, would, some people would buy their arrows from craftsmen. And it took time to make a good arrow that you could shoot and hit a target, okay? And the analogy is this. That's how you train your kids. You fashion your children like arrows. So you can one day put them in a bow, so to speak. Sometimes you'd like to. <laughs> and aim them and shoot them or send them into a world to make a difference. I mean, these are arrows put in your bow. Your children are your greatest legacy, man. And you, it, 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 I just love this analogy. I mean, you fa- these are handcrafted arrows, and you put them in a bow, and you, you, you send them out, wow, zoom, into the world as lights that penetrate darkness. And they got to go zoom, to penetrate the darkness, see? I look at John chapter 1, verse 5. It's powerful. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Not when you got light there, man. And who's that light? That's your kids, man. That's your kids. You have the Word of God. You have the principles, the values of the Word of God to ingrain in your kids so they will know the difference between truth and lies, and they will be able to stand strong and shine with light and bless the socks off people, I tell you. You're developing those kids in the Word of God. You are fashioning arrows. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.